0: Welcome to Podcast Q with Matt Henney. That is me, and I'm recording this in my makeshift home office in East Point because that's just the coronavirus way. Joining me is Athens-Clarke County Commissioner Mariah Parker. Hi, Mariah.
1: Hey, how's it going? It's great to be here.
0: Thank you for joining us. In. 2018, by just thirteen votes, Mariah won the District 2 race for the County Commission, and she became the commission's first ever openly LGBTQ member and also by like two decades was the youngest county commissioner in the county. Then in June, this June she ran unopposed and won her first four-year term in office. And of course, all of that came amidst a pandemic and protests for racial justice. So life has certainly changed since she first took office in 2018. Has the reality of winning a first term First full term, and now that you're committed to this for four years, has that sunk in yet?
1: It has. I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to watch some of the early seeds that have been planted grow, um, some of the things that have come out of a lot of the conversations in the community we've had over the last two years, but have taken a while to seed and water uh, to finally see those things grow into fruition and continue those conversations um, with the deepened connections that I have made over these two years of being commissioners, um, continuing to gain insight from my neighbors and put. Those things into practice through policy at the local level.
0: You jumped into the race for the District Two seat in uh, February 2018. I think it was a special election. It was. What prompted you to run? Was it and was that your first run at uh, first uh, campaign for office?
1: It was my first campaign for office. I never saw myself as someone that would run for office before. But there were two things that were very unique to this particular race um, that drove me to jump in and give people, you know, an option for who to represent them in city hall. The first being that um, my predecessor um, had served on the county commission for 25 years. He'd stepped down to run for mayor but throughout that two and a half decade span, he had run unopposed throughout and so um, democracy had not yet played out in a real way for the people of my district in a really long time and as well in this particular instance, again um, someone that was his would-be successor was running unopposed in this race and so to me as a strong believer in democracy, I just felt like that wasn't fair. So regardless of whether I had the bona fides to, um, to serve, I wanted to give people that choice to really have a robust democratic process for the people in District 2. But in addition to that, I had been working on a campaign for my friend Tommy Valentine, who was running for county commissioner in an adjacent district, and was on a slate of progressive candidates running all across the city on things like affordable housing, marijuana legalization, um, free uh, public transit, things of this nature. But without a majority on the commission, we wouldn't be able to realize some of these bold progressive policy positions that people had been campaigning on. And so we needed a sixth player on the team, essentially, to have that progressive majority to get our policy work done. So wanting to see democracy play out in my district and wanting to be a team player and be a part of the progressive slate that was running and, you know, would hopefully win and indeed did win um, seats in City Hall uh, were things that motivated to me to throw myself, throw my, you know, name in the hat, despite the fact that I was a political novice at the time.
0: Well, and so for folks in Atlanta, there might be a step or two removed from, from, Athens, can you talk about the district, District 2, and, and kind of what you saw when you were out on the campaign trail? Yeah, um,
1: so um, my district is, um, its about I represent about 30,000 people. Um, it is the only majority-minority district in Athens. It's historically African-American neighborhoods, um, historically low-income, but rapidly gentrifying. We're seeing increasing numbers of student housing um, being built, a lot of properties being flipped um, into more middle-income um, housing for um, single families, a lot of white families moving, as well with a lot of low income service industry workers, musicians, and so it's a very diverse area. We have, you know, everything from, you know, some of my neighbors live on the streets and, you know, stay at the homeless shelter down ground the street from me. And at the same time, there's 400000 to $500,000 houses being built around the same corner. And so um, it's a very interesting area. It's an area that I love deeply and have loved getting to know. But what I found when I was out knocking on doors on the campaign trail so is that very rarely had someone come to these folks before and ask them what they would like to see in their neighborhoods, such that when asked, like, hey, what would you like to see? How would you like to see your community change? People were kind of taken aback by the question. And so just engaging in that process of community visioning through dialogue one-on-one on people's doorsteps was really transformative in itself. You know, win or lose in that particular election. We did win, and we still are doing outreach to folks to get their input on what they would like to see the neighborhood grow into. But that really struck me as a part of the campaigning process that I hadn't really anticipated in.
0: Well, in, in addition to being a county commissioner, you're also a doctoral student at the University of Georgia and a rapper of who has performed around the country, including an appearance, I guess, at 2018 at South by Southwest. That's correct. And you perform under a different name, which I will not even try to pronounce because Lingua my- Lingua Franca. My, say that again?
1: <laughs> Lingua Franca.
0: Okay. Thank you. Because I knew that my like middle-aged whiteness would totally mispronounce it, so I didn't even want to take you're it.
1: Good, you're take good. You're
0: good. So what? how did you get your start in rap? What Do you, and do you still perform in- now that you're a county commissioner?
1: Yes, I do. Well, pre-coronavirus, I performed, and I still write a lot of raps and you know post them on my Instagram working on a second album, but um, I first got into hip-hop through the just general robustness of the music scene here in Athens. I attended a lot of rock shows. I was friends with a lot of uh, musicians, predominantly white, however, and noticed that there was a lack of representation in the music scene for people of color, so I started to get involved in hip-hop nights. Um, th- though they were few and far between but meeting hip hop artists in the community folks that you know I now live with actually the guy that first got me into the hip hop scene who I first rapped on stage with at a little dive bar called Nowhere Bar is now my roommate and so a lot of these relationships have have grown a lot in the years since I started started rapping um, I did study creative writing as a part of my undergrad and so I'd done a lot of poetry and spoken word but I hit a critical juncture and I think 2015 where I decided to kind of reinvent my Myself. I had, you know, fairly recently moved to Athens, was getting involved in the music scene, and wanted to take on a new identity of, for myself as, you know, a part of this really robust creative culture. So I started putting my poetry to music, um, started organizing hip-hop shows, and organizing hip-hop shows is actually how I got into um, political organizing, is, you know, hearing the stories people would tell about their lack of access to transportation, um, their um, experiences with over-policing, with their experiences of uh, struggling with childcare, struggling to to make ends meet and seeing that cultural change of the kind that we had made through hosting these hip hop shows by bringing people of different cultural backgrounds together around music was not enough. We actually needed policy change in order to improve the material conditions of these people's lives. So, um, hip hop grew out of, you know, just being a lifelong writer, but then out of hip hop grew taking, um, my interest in discourse and interest in uh, ana- an analysis to City Hall with me.
0: How do you balance it all? I mean, I, I, being a doctoral student can be a full-time job in and of itself.
1: Yeah, it is a little bit crazy. I just started back teaching today um, as UGA has um, reopened last Thursday. And so I have really long days, you know, 10, 12 hours. But when you do what you love, it kind of, it's kind of easy, um, you know, spending late nights. I also have a podcast on iHeartRadio. Radio called I Heart Reparations, which are waiting on reparations, which is about the intersections of hip hop and politics. And so um, staying up late at night to record those and staying up late at night to write new raps and staying up late at night, work on my prospectus for my dissertation. When you're passionate, it just kind of fuels you through the fatigue and through the overwhelm at times. So um, I think that building a lot of really uh, intentional self-care practices into my day is critical um, to help keep that that fiery passion alive but once that that flame is stoked it's kind of um, self-perpetuating and so it's easy to work these long days to get it all done
0: What's your self-care like? My, my self-care during the coronavirus has centered around way too many cookies and oh, way, yeah. too little, <laughs> way too little like working out. So what, uh, what is yours like?
1: Yeah, so uh, mine looks like going on really long walks every day. Um, two hours a day, I go on the Greenway Trail um, here uh, along the Oconee River in Athens, um, listen to podcasts, listen to books on tape, um, listen to um uh, bo- or PDFs of my readings for school um, I, I've got my my bike my stationary uh, set, set up on a stationary trainer in my room and so I bike for like an hour a day while while working on stuff or um, on a conference call or something like that akin to like a standing desk um, and I also meditate a lot I take very frequent breaks throughout the day for five or ten minutes to just close my eyes and focus on my breath to help ground me when I start to feel a little bit overwhelmed so those are those things have' been really critical to maintaining my well-being throughout this pandemic and throughout all the other, you know, work-related obligations that I have.
0: Right, right. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, your your self-care habits are way better than mine. And
1: cookies. <laughs> I didn't mention cookies, but every, that's taken for granted. Everybody has got cookies as a part of the regimen.
0: <laughs> well, and you mentioned UGA returning to class, and I think it was last week, August 20th, uh, that you took part in an Athens anti-discrimination movement event that from what I've read and and seen in media reports was actually protesting the reopening of the campus. So what was, what was uh, that, that, effort about.
1: Yeah. So as the movement of Black Lives, you know, moves into its uh, third month of resurgence since its first inception in 2014, um, we're trying to highlight the intersecting um, forms of oppression that Black people face. It's not just police violence. It's also economic violence through economic exploitation, these tough choices that workers are having to face to either, you know, leave their job and starve to protect their health or go to work and die because they contract a deadly virus. And so... Emphasizing the need for a reopening plan that centers worker safety, that includes workers' input, um, that is listening to the scientists at UGA, who, you know, according to recent epidemiological models, have surmised that within the next two months we could see half of the campus population infected with coronavirus if we don't change something soon. And um, across the country, we've seen this pandemic disproportionately impacting communities of color, Black and Latinx folks dying. In disproportionate rates, um, as well as being disproportionately impacted by the economic effects of, of shutdown, of layoffs, of unemployment. And so making sure that um, if we go online, workers are protected. If we stay in person, um, workers are protected. But highlighting those intersecting issues of economic injustice, as well as uh, health care disparities, as we talk about what it means to make Black Lives Matter across the board.
0: And do you think that the campus is doing enough to protect students and employees?
1: I'm really heartened by the, I guess, insurrectionary efforts of faculty members, TAs, other community members to take matters into their own hands to protect student health. So a lot of my classes have gone online. I've given my students the option to do all online if they're comfortable, and I have a number of them who have elected to do that. Um, And so I'm happy for the ways that the campus community has stepped up to protect one another. But no, I think that... These are um, filling a gap that is left by um, lack of transparency on the part of the administration, lack of serious protocols, lack of serious consideration of the the science that um, has come out nationally and has been um, touted by scientists here at the University of Georgia. We are, as staff, as faculty are having to fill in the gaps and those are some efforts that I am really proud of.
0: Well, and that seems very similar to what's gone on in, in Georgia overall. That it's been the efforts of local municipalities and other places that have taken the lead to fill in uh, what has been, you know, at least I think a pretty lackluster response from the state. And, and the county commission did that as well because you passed a mask mandate, right? Like That's you're one true. of the. One of the local jurisdictions that did that in defiance of the governor. So, I mean, how do you feel about how the how the state has responded?
1: I'm really I am really proud of the way the local government has filled in the gaps of some of the lack of response and leadership from the state, um, and so the, you know, wasting people's time on, you know, (laughs) Brian Kip likes to to tweet about pandemic politics oftentimes, uh, blaming Democratic leadership for doing things like mask mandates or shelter in place, when really I think he's the one politicizing the science of a pandemic, which has indicated that we need things like universal mask wearing. We needed a longer period of really stringent shelter in place in order to flatten the curb. And so um, I think that around the state however people are standing up to do the right thing both individually in terms of taking social distancing and mask wearing seriously um adhering to our ordinances hunkering down um while we still need to and so despite the lack of leadership at the state level folks are doing the right thing large by and large and i'm really proud of them
0: if there were a uh, governor Parker, what would you do to fight this pandemic?
1: Um, well, I would have canceled rent in March. I would have put a rent moratorium and mortgage moratorium in place. Since we injected you know several trillions of dollars into the stock market and you know to bail out the banks to help keep them afloat during this time, they could have taken the hit for not getting some mortgage payments and rent payments for a couple months. So that would have been one of my first actions. Uh, we would have had statewide lockdown for maybe two or three months in those early. Early days, March, April, May, and we would have had everything back to normal by now because um, we would have flattened the curve, ramped up our testing, ramped up our PPE uh, our production for um, and dist- distribution for our hospitals and other frontline workers right out of the gate making use of that time um, of shelter in place. And we may have been out of this uh, predicament by now, by and large, as well as having uh, staved off some of the economic repercussions of the shutdown by making sure people can stay in their homes. We wouldn't be facing the eviction, uh, oncoming eviction crisis that looms ahead of us as September 1st approaches and all of these intersecting uh, crises that we are in now.
0: So in an interview last year, you told Marie Claire, uh, you talked with him about how people should govern as their full, full messy selves. Mm-hmm. What, did, what did you mean by that?
1: Oh. Well, you know, I'm a hip-hop artist. I cut my teeth in uh, political speeches and organizing through telling my stories and through being myself and making audiences laugh, cry, connecting with them on a person-to-person level. And I think that's largely why I also won office is being who I am, being very upfront about my struggles, pr- my past struggles with substance abuse, with my um, past struggles with mental illness, with my, my, you know, foibles as a young person that... T- aren't necessarily um, you know, a phase that I went through that doesn't, you know, it informs who I am now, I'm trying to say. And there are things that people commonly go through. You know, I didn't have a car for several years and had to walk everywhere and take public transit. And so I know the need for us to have fair-free public transportation. I've been late on my bills and I know how important something like a rent or mortgage moratorium would have been for folks back in April and, and, you know, and still. um, I um, have worked multiple low-wage jobs and know how desperately we need to raise the minimum wage in Georgia and nationally. And so a lot of the things that have informed my life, I am very upfront about because they inform my policy and help me connect with folks of the working class from marginalized communities who are going through those things too and desperately deserve representation. So I'm not shy about talking about um, the rocky history I have had that has brought me to this point. I like myself a lot these days through these self-care practices that we were talking about at the top. (laughs) And so I, you know, it couldn't have happened any other way. It all had to be the way that it was in order for me to be who I am today. And so I sit in comfort with that and try to convey that to my constituents and to folks that I organize politically as often as I can.
0: As you've been in office for the last few years, you've also still been very active uh, in reform movements, whether it's been uh, p- uh, police police reform, brutality, and racial justice, and, and have been in, involved in a lot of events uh, in, there in Athens over the over the summer. What's I mean, what sort of prompted you to to be so active?
1: Well, you know, I'm first and foremost an activist. I, you know, do hold a seat in power, but I can see, I see myself as a conduit for activist movements across Athens for making sure that their voices are heard and their policy um, proposals and um, their hopes and dreams for change are manifested through someone who is representing them in office. And so to stay in touch with those movements is incredibly important to me, as well as being a conduit for the, um, the layman, the... Activist in the street, the organizer on the block, to, um, or maybe the political novice who is enraged by what they're seeing happen across the country to folks like Jacob Blake and don't know what to do, to channeling that into. Um, productive policy directions so informing folks about what changes we've made in recent budgets or what criminal justice reforms that we've done and what are directions that are politically viable within our current um, political environment given the makeup of the of the commission so helping people, helping connect people to their government to do mass political education through things like rallies um, and protests, um, helping people connect with their, their um, commission through like modeling the way to talk to folks and, have, and, and um, access resources for how to reach out to them. Um, it's a very important part of the work I do, you know, and it would be even if I didn't hold public office.
0: And some of that activism included uh, organizing a march in late May that uh, attracted some 2,000 people. It was in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. How did that event come about, and what was your reaction to to such a large crowd?
1: Yeah, so um, the event came about out of a conversation with several other Black queer female uh, organizers in Athens who were um, not satisfied with the mobilizations that were planned for that day, that were being led by cis white men um, who were collaborating a lot with the police, and so we wanted to model for folks what it looks like for us to center black female leadership and LGBTQ leadership, uh, what it looks like for us to keep our community safe by having marshals and security organized that decrease our reliance upon the police. And so um, in just a few days, um, myself and my fellow organizers put together the march, um, and I was really sh- shocked and humbled by the, the term Turnout of you know to uh, you know fifteen hundred two thousand people that came, um, but really gratitude a lot. I had a lot of gratitude for the opportunity to, as I was saying before, connect the outbreak and heart rage that people felt to really um, tangible policy solutions that could be achievable um, within our next budget cycle and within the year to come. So um, I learned a lot from that experience as well about organizing large scale mobilizations um, in the public like that. Um, um, but I, uh, yeah, I'll remember that. I'll remember that day for the rest of my life, probably.
0: So in Atlanta, there were a couple of events uh, in June uh, organized by LGBTQ people to call attention to the to the uh, uh, Black trans lives, Black mm-hmm. trans people, because they, there was a bit of a divide and, and a thought that some of the other protests and demonstrations weren't being as inclusive as it could be. Has that been an issue in Athens?
1: Yeah, I mean, at our fr- at that. Fr- first march we were talking about I was criticized by some like why are you making this about you know queer leadership when it's about George Floyd um and you know having to articulate to folks that um until all black lives matter then no black lives matter it's so important that we center the least among us in every way that we you know strengthen our bonds of solidarity through empathy and um consciousness raising around the struggles faced by folks who aren't like us even if we all share the same skin tone and so uh, we, we did and do struggle with that a little bit in Athens. But again, I'm constantly in my work trying to model what it means to, um, to center the, the least among us in our organizing um, through making sure uh, through our community input, through the way that we mobilize, through the way that we do policy, all folks are represented and have an opportunity to make their voices heard.
0: And it it was after that event that you organized in May that you tested positive for coronavirus. That's true. Yeah. Have you fully recovered?
1: I have. I remained mostly asymptomatic um, throughout my quarantine period. Um, I did experience some chest pains and some difficulty breathing. Um, but it was on the day of another really big protest that was being held here in Athens. And so it's entirely possible that I was simply having a panic attack. Um, and so other than that, I, uh, I was fine. None of my roommates ever experienced any symptoms. And so um, I'm very, very thankful for that. But yes, I have had a full recovery uh, and put that behind me, thankfully.
0: That helped change some of your organizing efforts, right? Because after that, or at some point this summer, you have like a, a caravan sort right, of? Right, yeah.
1: So we started to take the need not only for, you know, social distancing really seriously, but also give opportunities for folks that were, you know, at risk, who, um, you know, lived with vulnerable loved ones, folks who might even t- have tested positive themselves to participate without, uh, with, while also, you know, remaining socially distanced. So we started doing car caravans pretty much weekly throughout the month of June um, where we would drive around the city with, uh, you know, chalked windows or, you know, uh, painted windows with uh, messages of, you know, reimagined public safety and Black Lives Matter um, and then shut down some of the streets of downtown. Uh, I think one of the really valuable parts about Protests is also disrupting life as we know it to call attention to these issues. And so we shut down the streets around City Hall. We shut the streets down around the Confederate monuments. Um, and then using the black radio station here, WXAG, to broadcast speakers over the radio so that folks could listen to abolitionist perspectives. Um, we had Chris Bruce from the ACLU call in. We had other organizers call in to talk about. Uh, policy proposals of theirs and then we just played music and kind of had like a little socially distanced uh, uh jam in our cars in the streets of downtown athens and so um i think it was a, a transition to a safer model of organizing that uh served a lot of folks well that otherwise would not have participated
0: that's great <laughs> it's a neat, neat way to adapt to, to the pandemic and what's going on yeah. so you've got a plan to reimagine policing reimagine policing in Athens it includes replacing half of the police departments 254 officers through resignations and retirements replacing them with mental health professionals social workers and other forms of, of nonviolent response over the next 10 years is that is that right is That, that a is good correct, yes okay so can you walk me through you know some of the other details of of what you're proposing
1: Yeah, so in the uh, May budget cycle, um, I proposed uh, fifty thousand dollars. To contract with folks like the White Bird Clinic in Eugene, Oregon that um, provides uh, um, crisis intervention and uh, crisis de-escalation for the city of Eugene. Places like Portland Street Response. um, Things like uh, models that have been rolled out in places like Houston, uh, where they have crisis intervention teams. um, Places like LA, where they have social work interns that work with their police department to connect people's social services. To take the best of alternatives to policing from around the country and and create a model here that would offer Athenians a more specialized array of crisis response options that are suited to specific instances. So you got a guy standing on a train bridge, threatening to jump. You send someone that's specialized in mental health care to go talk to that person. You've got a couple that's having a domestic dispute. You send someone trained in restorative justice mediation to help talk them through the harms that have been uh, perpetrated and way forward and what accountability looks like for them. If you've got uh, a party that's a little bit too loud on your block, you send someone from code enforcement to help, you know, knock on the door and ask them to turn their music down. You've got someone who's got a brake light out. You have specialized uh, traffic uh, uh, responders that can maybe fix somebody's brake light or, you know, let them know that they're... um their, their little license plate light isn't on. So rather than arrest them or, you know, search them for drugs and end up sending them on a cycle of incarceration and recidivism. Um, and so that is the plan still. We weren't able to get that. Uh, funding available, or funding approved in our budget this time around, but I'm still working with places like the Bird Clinic in Eugene, Oregon. I'm still um, speaking with social workers at the University of Georgia, still speaking to community members about what things that they need to keep their community safe, not only investing in a wider variety of crisis response, but also things like affordable housing, things like community gardens, um, things like youth development programs, so kids aren't joining gangs, but instead getting involved in community groups that help them develop a positive of self, of sense of self-identity, you know, um, all sorts of underfunded social services that would help curb the causes of crime in the first place. Um, We're still working through what that would look like for Athens, but I do fully intend to uh, propose some um, budget reallocations within the coming year that will help shift us in that direction.
0: How, How do you address folks, you know, protesting is a very immediate thing. And, and, it, and, and, and turning that into political change. Uh, I don't know, that's a much longer process. I mean, even your plan is over 10 years. And mm-hmm. so how do you sort of work with people or kind of talk people through? Okay, yes, there's a lot of energy right now. And there's, there's protests, and people want immediate change. Well, that change is going to take some time. And what, what yeah. sort of response do you hear from people about that?
1: Yeah, so at all of the actions they I- organize, I uh, create a bit.ly link that takes people to a Google Doc with action steps that they can take while they are there. So, for example, tonight's protest that I am leading, or, you know, the rally I'm leading, it directs people to the the Milwaukee Freedom Fund to donate to the protesters who have been arrested in Kenosha, in addition to mutual aid funds that are here in Athens, because public safety also means making sure all of our neighbors have their basic needs met. So, Donating directly to mutual aid funds that are dispersing aid to our communities to ensure people have a roof over their heads, gas in their cars, and food on their tables for their children. Um, I, you know, I, I create links that uh, um, populate an email to their commissioner so that they can, with one click, you know, set up a meeting to talk about public safety with the folks that represent them, as well as access to research documents that I've compiled that will inform those conversations, the best research from around the country about what works, um, as an alternative to the police, um, links to readings that people can do because it's not just about, you know, um, policy change. It's about the why, and it's about these, uh, radical utopian visions for where we're trying to get in the long run. And so tonight the recommended reading that I've sending out to folks is Our Person's Obsolete by Angela Davis, in addition to, um, The End of Policing by Alex Vitali. Um, I, uh, help people connect with resources for having conversations in their communities, because it's not just about policy change, it's about cultural change. It's about getting to know our neighbors, what their needs are, what their assets are, and and um, building solidarity with them. So in a crisis, instead of calling 911, we're prepared to look out for each other and keep our communities safe. Um, and so I try to do as much as I can at these events, give people something to do while they're there, and create a plan to follow up with a friend they came with, or a friend they made in the crowd, about how how their action steps went so that we're translating uh, the catharsis of attending a protest and some of the political education of attending a protest to some some concrete action that they can take in the moment to forward the movement.
0: Right, right. No, I like that. So you have the the, the immediate sort of, like you said, cath- catharsis of a protest, but then homework and action steps yeah, and accountability give partners. Homework. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. I like that. But so even before coronavirus and the, the protests started, um, the incremental change was already happening there. Uh, I believe you supported a pre-arrest diversion program, That's and and the commission eliminated cash bail mm-hmm. last year.
1: Okay. That's true.
0: And there's some effort to decriminalize uh, marijuana?
1: Yes, we are trying to build the political will among the commission to to, uh, decriminalize uh, marijuana, pass a parallel ordinance for Athens that would uh, end arrests for possession of marijuana. Uh, The Solicitor General has expressed opposition to such an ordinance, and so it's really about pushing folks to say, hey, you know, this is what we all want, we're going to put it on his desk, And make him have to deal with this because we are all in support of ending the war on drugs here in Athens. And so we're still pushing for that. And hopefully in the next couple of months we can get that done.
0: And so, over the summer, I did some reading, and you apparently faced some threats on social media that prompted you to report them to the police. And you, yeah, a little I, well, bit about yeah,
1: actually, so um, I did experience some threats on social media. I didn't report it to the police, but they were reported by folks who were worried about me. I instead, um, you know, organized with my neighbors for like a safety plan, what to do if something were to go down. Organized with some folks that I know that are uh, trained in, um, you know, de escalation of conflicts um, and rapid response. You know, friends of mine. Like, what happens if something were to happen in our community? What would I do? What would I need to feel more safe? Um, on the general, um, because you know that's I've got to practice what I preach. If I am talking to the community about how to um, reduce our reliance um, on policing, I gotta you know walk the walk as well. And so I did in a way that actually didn't make me feel a lot safer. But this isn't the first time I've experienced threats. Shortly after I was sworn into office, I received a lot. um, Folks from all over. Of the country. were sending me letters and voicemails, um, threatening my life and other forms of violence against me. And so really, at this point, I use it as a yardstick for how well I'm doing. Um, if people aren't mad, that means I'm not pushing hard enough for the kinds of change that we need. And so um, honestly, i just let it roll off my back like water and keep it trucking.
0: How do you balance being the only LGBTQ member of the commission and the responsibilities that sort of comes with being the highest profile LGBT elected official in the county, but also having to serve your constituents in District 2?
1: Serving as... A liaison between the queer community um, many of whom are very prominent organizers in Athens and the commission is something that um, I take very seriously uh, but I recognize that I um, do have a lot of conservative uh, constituents that may have somewhat regressive views about uh, sexuality and so you know I think modeling for folks that I'm still a person I'm still a black person, I'm still a young person I'm still a woman, I still go through a lot of the things that they go through and I come from a lot of the same cultural backgrounds as they do and that there's less difference between us than they might think. I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that, like, you can be, you know, queer, bisexual, or lesbian, um, which I have been referred to variously, um, and still understand, you know, A lot of the issues that people face you know just like anyone else would and so i think i balance that through just modeling my humanity modeling the humanity of the of the lgbtq community in every conversation i have with someone by just being myself and showing folks that like we all have common struggles that we need to unite around in order to prevail uh, regardless of what your sexuality is
0: and before the pandemic, you talked with us about the commission exploring the installation of permanent rainbow c- crosswalks in downtown Athens, yeah. as well as a comprehensive uh, LGBTQ inclusive non-discrimination policy. What's the status of those efforts?
1: Yeah, so we're still working through the non-discrimination ordinance in the Legislative Review Committee, looking at ordinances that have been put in place in places like Brookhaven, things that we can draw together about the, uh, from the best of ordinances like these around the state um, to have Something that is really comprehensive and, and toothy uh, for Athens so that we can, you know, really make sure that folks feel empowered to speak out and get justice if they're discriminated against. Um, we did pass uh, f- $50,000 in funding for um, the Rainbow Crosswalk in June. And I was actually a little bit critical of that move. I think that symbolic gestures ahead of material changes and policy changes that really uplift um, the LGBTQ Q, Q community are stuff- things we're seeing around the country but are not addressing the underlying issues that these folks face. And so, especially given that in this, uh, Particular square where the crosswalk was going in, uh, largely queer uh, protesters had been tear gassed and arrested several weeks prior for participating in a Black Lives Matter protest. So uh, you know, what, what are we walking the walk? Are we are we just talking the talk? Are some criticisms that I had for the um, the, the priorities that were expressed through putting that crosswalk in place ahead of getting that ordinance done and other sorts of uh, material. Uh, uplift for the LGBTQ community rolled out in terms of our budget priorities. But, uh, you know, we got to do a little bit of everything. And so we're getting there, you know, we're getting there.
0: So the money's there. Have the crosswalks been installed?
1: No, the, the crosswalk has not been installed yet, but the money has been approved, yes.
0: We're recording this in late August. It's the week after the Democratic National Convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, any takes on the convention, the campaign? Joe Biden, how things are going to go from now until the next 70-some days until until November?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't underestimate the historic nature of his vice presidential pick and Kamala Harris, but as a progressive, someone that has long stood for Medicare for All, that sees the impending climate catastrophe as an existential threat to our world, that needs to be addressed seriously through something like a Green New Deal, um, that is saddled with student debt, and you know teaches a lot of undergrads who face steep costs of uh, high Higher education. um, I would like to see more emphasis on policy among some of the messaging from the Democratic Party. Um, I thought that was very absent in the Democratic National Convention, as well as you know LGBTQ voices, young voices, um, Latinx and Muslim voices um, to be the party of to be a big tent. It's not simply appealing to Republicans. It's also appealing to the various demographics across the country that are underrepresented in our politics currently. And so um, I think that it's important to continue to push the Democratic Party to be what it, you know, to, back to its roots of truly standing up for the working class and standing up for all people. And that right now, We're losing our way a little bit, but, you know, the fight continues and I feel optimistic that uh, young folks like myself that are maybe new to politics will get our chance to seize power within the party in coming years and continue to push it to the left. My
0: last question for you is where can people find you and follow you and find out more about the work you're doing?
1: Yeah, so you can find me at at Mariah for Athens on Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow me on Facebook at Mariah Parker, County Commissioner.
0: Mariah, thanks again for your time and for joining me. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. Subscribe to Podcast Q to keep up with new episodes and follow us at theqatl.com.
1: All right. That was great.